Hey, and welcome to the One Foot Down Podcast, episode number 13. This is the bi-week edition. The Irish were off this week. We saw some upsets in college football. Um, we'll get into some of that stuff a little bit later. Um, today I have Paul and Lars with me on the podcast. How are you guys doing? Doing awesome. Likewise. All right, so that line for today's podcast is going to be uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Notre Dame for the first half. Uh, we'll run through about six questions, and then the second half of the podcast, we're going to take a look at some topics on the national scene. Hopefully, I have a little bit of fun with this, especially the, the latter latter half of the podcast. So um, the first question I wanted to ask you guys was, through six games so far, we're halfway through the regular season, who would you say is the most surprising player on the Notre Dame roster so far? I'll, I'll start with you, Lars. You go ahead and uh, give me your answer. <laughs> you're you're starting me with a stumper here. Um, I found this to be actually a really difficult question, um, and I went with uh, I would say there's probably two guys for me. One would be Corey Robinson, um, just the impact that he's had. I mean, I realize he's he's caught only something like I think it was six balls, but particularly the Michigan State game, the way he played, uh, I've been very very impressed with him. And uh, well, you know, we've been hearing all kinds of great things about him. Certainly, coming in as a recruit, he wasn't uh, overly highly thought of, and and uh, he's really certainly exceeded expectations. Probably another guy that I'd mention is uh, Ronnie Stanley, who's who's uh, stepped in at right tackle and done a pretty nice job. And and uh, I think you know that's a very difficult position to play, and I think uh, he's done pretty well with it. And there haven't been a huge number of glaring mistakes. But if I had to pick one of the two, I think it would be Corey Robinson for me. All right, uh, I didn't have either of those on my list. I thought about putting Corey Robinson on my list. I went with another receiver. Um, what do you say, what do you say, Paul? My actual choice. I was down between either Lombard or Stanley. I went with Stanley. Uh, much in the same way that Lars, uh, his rationale was more or less that you're talking about a guy who was sort of injected into a position, first-year starter, brand new uh, to a, a relatively veteran group of O-linemen, and I haven't really seen any glaring mistakes. I mean, he's had some false starts. Uh, I'm not entirely sure if that he's had more than one holding penalty, but He's a guy that you can look at the game film and you can see that he's improved week to week to week where I think our game against Arizona State was sort of the culmination of it, how you're talking about a team that blitzed every single down trying to get to Tommy Reese, and I don't think they got to him once, and you would just see Stanley slide out, whether it was Reese calling the protection or whether it was the sideline calling the protection or the line calling the protection, he was getting his guy every single time. He was picking everything up. The second guy I would mention um, is uh, Turian Folston. And while he hasn't gotten uh, the, the amount of carries uh, that I would like, uh, I, he's only has 11 on the year, you're talking about a guy who's averaging 6.3 yards a carry. He's a guy who is very explosive when he gets into space. He's, he's, He's improving week week in and week out. I would have liked to have seen him get some action against Arizona State, but uh, it, it sort of bodes well for us that we're getting some sort of uh, impact amongst our freshmen, uh, especially someone like Folston. But if I had to pick one surprising player, it would be Stanley in terms of how overall surprised in a positive way that I am with his impact on the O-line for Notre Dame's offense. 
So I figured we'd probably have a pretty uh, diverse amount of picks here. and It's funny, I have three guys that I wrote down. Um, both of you haven't brought them up yet. I went with Cam McDaniel, I think, was my first choice, just because um, in terms of you know major surprise, I don't think it's a surprise that he's playing, per se. Um, but I think going into the season, a lot of people thought that he would be you know third or the fourth back. Maybe he would get moved to the slot receiver and see some time there, but through half half of the season, he's leading the team in attempts right now and as a running back. Um, the second player I thought was Will Fuller, and I think it's kind of like the Corey Robinson situation, um, but more so I was just super surprised that he saw the field this year. Um, you know, he's not very big, and uh, I thought for sure he was going to redshirt, so I was pretty surprised. Uh, you know, and he only has two catches on the season, but um, one of those I think was pretty big against, uh, I want to see Oklahoma. Uh, but, uh, yeah, pretty surprised there. And then the, my third player would be Kona Schwenke. Um, I know we all thought that he would be a solid player this year. I thought he's played pretty well. I don't think you can look at his stats and really uh, see how well he's played. I think he's he's making a, a pretty big impact. Um, so those would be my three players. Um, so let's take a look at the other side of that coin. Um, through six games, uh, who would be your most disappointing player? And I'll kick it back to you, Paul. You, you go ahead and... Give me any players that you wrote down. For me, my number one was Matthias Farley, um, a guy who was one of the leaders of the defense last year, started last year, and in the in a handful of games this year, Michigan, Oklahoma, uh, just got really exposed uh, in in um, amongst the deep pass passes across the middle. Uh, he did have a, a, a what I would say a, a very solid uh, and a very good game against Arizona State. I even think against Purdue he wasn't as bad as advertised. Uh, but it, with the amount of starts that he has under his belt, with the amount of experience that he's had, uh, I'm I'm kind of disappointed that he really hasn't stepped up uh, and and to sort of go along with that. It, it's just sort of. Uh, exemplary of how um, weak, if that's a if that's the adjective to use, that our safety position is this year. Uh, you really would look at a veteran like Farley to really step up and show leadership and and sort of improve his game. And I really haven't seen that this year, and it's it has been disappointing. So my my pick would really be Farley. Okay, he's not on my list, so so far we have a, another diverse um, set of players here. What, what do you got, Lars? Uh, Farley was my guy as well. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, for all the reasons that Paul outlined. So, um, you know, I've just been disappointed with the secondary in general, so it's probably more of an indictment of the entire secondary, and Farley just is, is sort of the scapegoat to some degree. Um, you know, a, couple, a guy that would be working his way into my dog, house if I was coaching him is uh, DeVaris Daniels. I've been, I know he had a great start to the season and he can be such a, a dominant, dominant player and I, you know, the start of the year looked really good. Last few games, I've been very disappointed in him and uh, he's been, I think, inconsistent and running the wrong routes at times and just hasn't been overly disciplined and, and that's been a bit of a disappointment as the year has gone on. Uh, another guy would be uh, Chris Brown. It's shocking to me that he's not making more of an impact and he's sort of having some of these freshman receivers uh, pass him and he's had some key drops here lately and and uh, he's a guy that the Irish really need to step up so 
Um, two of the receivers there that uh, um, are, would kind of be working their way into my doghouse if I was coaching them potentially. Okay, I like those picks. My my number one was uh, Amir Carlisle. Um, I thought, you know, he might be the guy that brought a lot of dynamic play to the offense, uh, a lot of versatility, and um, he started off the year pretty well. I'm uh, looking at his stats here, and you know, he had that big run to start the season against Temple. Um, you know, if you take that rushing attempt away, his season's been pretty me- mediocre since then. Um, he played well against Michigan, 12 carries, 64 yards. That was pretty solid. But since then, he's almost fallen off a cliff. Um, 11 carries, 16 yards against Purdue, 3 for 9 against State, um, 3 for 13 against Oklahoma, and 2 for 8 against Arizona State. Um, I thought he was going to be a much bigger impact player so far this year. Um, and, you know, he's, he's seen a little bit of the ball in the passing game. Uh, he's got seven receptions so far this year, but only for 30 yards, and he hasn't caught a pass in the past three games. So um, he was the number one guy on my list. Um, I would also throw Elijah Shoemate out there. Um, I agree with Paul. I would probably put uh, Farley um, ahead of him in terms of because, you know, Farley's a veteran, and, uh, you know, Shoemate really hasn't had a ton of experience back at safety as he was a nickel corner last year, but I, I thought he was going to really take the reins this year at safety, and uh, he clearly hasn't done that yet. And also, my third pick was Chris Brown, so I'll agree with Lars there. I think this team desperately needs a third receiver to step up and uh, offer some versatility for Reese in the passing game. I think if they can get Daniels, Jones, and Eifert with another receiver out there, oh, that could do wonders for the uh, for the offense in the second half of the season. All right, so we're already on to question number three. Uh, This one's pretty simple. We're going to talk about Tommy Reese. Is he better, is he worse, or is he where you expected so far through half of the season? Let's kick it back to you, Lars. Um, I would go with slightly worse. Um, You know, I expected Tommy to have a a decent senior season, and in particular I expected him to be more consistent and uh, because that's what you expect out of senior players, right? They usually eliminate those mistakes, and they're just consistent performers. And then the other thing was I expected more accuracy out of him. Here's a guy who after, uh, you know, I think the third game of the season was the most accurate passer in in the history of Notre Dame, and in particular against Michigan State, uh, Oklahoma, and Arizona State. He's been at times absolutely brutal in terms of accuracy and and I realize those are, are three decent defenses, well two decent defenses I should say um, in t- in, from the perspective of Michigan State and Oklahoma but he's just missed wide open receivers at times and then other times he'll thread the needle and, and make a pass that's throw a pass that's fairly accurate so um, that's been disappointing um, otherwise you know this is about the Tommy I expected to see. Again, I was hoping to see just a little more consistency and a little more accuracy, so I'd rate him as slightly worse. Yeah, he's been under 45% accuracy the past three games. Um, let's kick it over to Paul. What do you think? I'm pretty much along the same lines with Lars, sort of incorporating what you just said. Uh, his f- slightly worse for Tommy only in the sense that his efficiency is really not what I thought it would be. I really would have expected him to be a 55 to 60% uh, passer at this point in his career. The amount of snaps that he has under his belt from 2011, 2012, this year on. Uh, you're talking about a guy who had uh, pretty much complete control of the offense at the beginning of the year. He's really had no one 
looking behind them, so you would have expected him to step up, exhibit uh, some more poise back there. And above everything else, it's not like he's running for his life back there. Our offensive line is doing a really great job of giving him time to throw. And like Lars said, he's just straight up missing receivers at times. Um, I want to point to your comment in the uh, game recap from Arizona State about the pass to T.J. Jones being one of the best of his career. Where are we as as Notre Dame podcasters or Notre Dame fans or Notre Dame uh, observers that we're talking about a 35-yard pass from a veteran quarterback being the best pass of his career? So in that sense, it's really not up to what I was expecting. However, he does have 13 touchdown passes. He does have six picks, which is basically along the lines of an interception a game is probably par for the course for Tommy Rees. Um, and as we sort of go into the rest of the slate, I really would like to see him kind of improve beyond this. But at this point in the season, it's a little worse than what I was expecting. Um, the ratios are about what I was expecting, but in terms of efficiency, in terms of simply looking at the eye test, uh, I really would have liked him to be a little bit uh, more accurate. I would have liked him to get some more yards per game and, uh, and and show some poise back there because his accuracy has really been struggling this year, which is very disappointing for me. Yeah, I would agree with both of you. Um... You look at his yards per attempt at that 7.4. That's a, a little bit better than his career average. Um, and, uh, you know, the accuracy obviously isn't where it should be, 51.7%. Um, but other than that, he's on pace for 3,000 yards. Um, you know, he'll probably get close to 30 touchdowns with about an interception per game. So um, I think I would probably fall with where I expected him this year. Um We'll see how he does in the second half of the season in terms of his accuracy. Uh, hopefully he can improve that part of his game. Let's stay in the backfield for question number four here. Uh, I wanted to ask you guys, who do you think is going to finish the season with the most rushing attempts? Let's kick it back to you, uh, Paul. Well, right now it's McDaniel. I don't envision that being... Uh, the, the way the season is going to end up, I, I think it's probably going to be Atkinson that's going to have the most attempts, but it's not going to be by much. Uh, it really looks like Kelly is doing a running back by committee back there. Uh, w right now, between Atkinson and McDaniel, um, Carlisle not so much, although he does have 38 carries on the season. I think that's also a product of the fact that Carlisle sat out a year. And I think it's it's very underrated uh, to, to look at the players that have sat out a year and come back and seeing how they catch up to game speed. And, and right now, the, the the look is that you're bringing in Atkinson to start, or Carlisle to start, they both started three games, but as of late, it's been Atkinson. And then McDaniels, you're changing pace. If, with our upcoming slate of games against weaker defenses, we're able to establish the run, I really would envision seeing Atkinson being the one that will end up with the most carries. Yeah, I would agree with that. Let's, what do you got, Lars? Uh, I would go with uh, Cam on this one. I think um, 
you know, and, and certainly I agree with many of Paul's points. I just think when I look at the schedule and I look at what Cam does, um, he's sort of the trusted guy. He's kind of the, the theoretic, the guy that maybe, you know, theoretic in comparison, you know, George Atkinson is probably a little more like uh, Sierra Wood in terms of um, Cam McDaniel is the more consistent, dependable player, and he might not be quite as flashy. He might not have the top-end speed and those sorts of things, but he's a more dependable guy. And I think particularly when we get in games against Air Force and Navy where we're, when we're just going to want to impose our will on them, I think uh, you're going to see Cam get a number of, of carries. Um, so, you know, George Atkinson is an interesting case. Uh, I think he's ran well for the most part this year. Um, and I thought he really, I, th I thought he had a good first half against Arizona State, but I really thought he reverted back and, uh, and, and went back to some of those old habits with some just goofy cuts. Um, so I think you're going to see Cam come in as a closer, and I think that's going to end up being, uh, it's going to mean more carries for, for him in the long run. So the thing with Atkinson I was looking at, um, you know, I think it's a mild surprise that McDaniel's leading the team in rushing attempts. But then I look at his uh, his carries per game, and uh, McDaniel's gone. Let me pull it up here. A couple games this year, he really hasn't carried the ball at all. He had one carry against Michigan and only three carries against Oklahoma. I think, um, you know, the case could be made that George Atkinson is improving this year. I would agree with Lars. I, th I thought his second half against Arizona State was kind of uh, not a great performance. But uh, in terms of getting consistent carries, I think Atkinson is the guy who I think the coaching staff is going to rely on for the second half of the season. Um, just looking at his carries per game, he's gone 8, 5, 5, 6, 14, and 18. So a bit of an upward, upward trend for him. And, uh, you know, I don't think there's ever going to be a game where he's only going to get one or two carries. I think he's always going to get four or five at minimum, so I think that's probably going to end up with uh, him getting the most at the end of the season. All right, a couple more questions here for Notre Dame. Give me your two keys for the offense um, for the second half of the season. Let's go back to you, Lars. Uh, my two keys would be, the first one would be run the ball and stick with the run a little bit. Um, I think, you know, and I've I've leveled this criticism before, I think we have a tendency to maybe abandon that run a little too early. So absolutely run the ball. And then uh, just the other one is consistency. I think uh, the offense has shown all the parts of a, a good offense. We just haven't shown them all together and we haven't shown them on a consistent basis. So run the ball and just be consistent in general. Okay, what do you say, Paul? Consistency was mine uh, as well. Um, the the two that I would have, though, uh, the, the first is win the first quarter. Uh, if you look at the way that Notre Dame is matched up with their opponents in scores by quarter right now, it's tied at 31. And while Notre Dame's a team that improves as the game goes along, based on the statistics anyway, uh, you're talking about a team that it, with the style of offense that we run with the somewhat gaps in our defense that we have, you really want a team that's going to start fast. And winning the first quarter would be a good way to start that. You're establishing a tone, you're establishing um, momentum, and, and really getting into the first quarter uh, ahead uh, through the rest of the season would be my number one. My number two is basically what Lars said. You got to run the ball. Uh, your your offense right now is averaging 4.3 yards a carry. That's not bad. 
but your running backs as a whole are only averaging about anywhere between 40 and 50 yards a game, and you really need to do a much better job of that, especially considering you've got three, four running backs right now who are all averaging over four yards a carry in Atkinson, McDaniel, Carlisle, and Fulston. Uh, so really, really look at running the football. It's going to make Tommy Reese's job a lot easier. We don't have to worry about our offensive line uh, really breaking down because as of late they've done a really good job of protecting him, so I'm not really concerned on that front. I am concerned that teams are going to start doing what they've been doing against Reese, and that's dropping a forcing him to pick spots. We know his accuracy is already suspect. And that's where the interceptions come in. If you're able to run the football, you're going to force teams to clog the box, which will open up the passing game for Reese. And against our upcoming slate of opponents, it really would do well for the Irish offense to incorporate that philosophy, to apply that philosophy, because it'll make Reese better, it'll make the team better, and as we sort of push to the end of the season uh, and are sort of in even the bowl game, whatever it may be, it'll allow the team to establish some type of identity on offense as opposed to sort of fly-by-wire by each game. Okay, my two, my two uh, keys for the offense were pretty generic. Um, I said protect the ball, which basically means get some competent play from Reese for the second half of the season. And uh, my other one was find your go-to tailback. Um, you know, I, I think not only for the second half of the season, but going into next year with all the running backs coming coming back to campus, I think finding that number one guy, uh, someone you know you can depend on, um, is a pretty important part um, for the offense. Let's switch to defense. Uh, what's your two keys for the second half of the season on defense? Uh, let's go back to you, Paul. The first would be to win the second quarter. Notre Dame right now is being outscored 53-37 to 37 in the second quarter, and that's frankly unacceptable. The, the idea that you're giving up the... Uh, basically, at this point, we've played five games... Um, you're giving up 10 points in the second quarter to each team. That's unacceptable. Really is. You got to uh, keep the pressure on. Uh, you got you have to sort of step up your game as you go into halftime because you want your team to have momentum. Uh, the second thing, in terms of keys for the defense, would be contain the play. Uh, you're talking about a, a defense right now that is looking a lot. Uh, more like two years ago than last year, where we're giving up a lot of yards, maybe not necessarily a lot of points depending on some of the teams, but we are giving up a lot of offense to our opponents. And really containing the play, keeping things in front of us would help. Uh, the idea that we've got at least four or five guys on defense right now with almost three-year experience under their belt, the idea that we're giving up the yardage and points that we're giving up is really disappointing. So as we go into the second half of the season for the rest of the, the, the year, I really would like to see our team keep everything in front of us, force some takeaways, limit the yards, and really put pressure on teams because right now it's not looking good for the defense. They're looking really exposed. In some cases they're looking tired. And, and in other parts they're looking great. I, I, I think... 
Arizona State may would be a good stepping point for the rest of the year, whereas we gave up a lot of points. We caused a lot of disruption, and, and that's something to build on as we approach USC, as we approach the rest of our, our, our slate as we head into the bowl game. So contain the, contain the play, keep everything in front of you, as well as win the second quarter would be my two. All right, I'll just jump jump in there and give you my two uh, my two keys. My first one was uh, forced turnovers. I thought um, this is probably a huge weakness uh, so far this year. We only have seven turnovers through three game through six games, excuse me, and I think that's with a bunch against Arizona State in the last game as well. Um, you know, two years ago there was a lot of uh, air pulling about the turnover situation, and um, that team only had 14 turnovers on the entire season so right now they're kind of floating around that same area in terms of forced turnovers uh, last year the Irish had 23 forced turnovers and in 2010 there was 25 so maybe we've discovered some sort of pattern where they force a lot of turnovers and then the next year they don't force that many turnovers so I, I think that's a key uh, moving forward for the defense I thought limiting big plays and stopping the run were things I, I initially was going to talk about but after looking at the stats, um, you know, I thought things are looking pretty good there, especially stopping the run. They've, I think they've settled in so far this year. And then limiting big plays, I thought the stats there would be a little bit more uh, egregious th compared to last year. And uh, right now Notre Dame's sitting at 25th nationally in plays given up of 20-plus yards, which I think is pretty solid. Um, I think all of last year they gave up something like 38 of those plays. Um, and if you look at it with teams that have played six games, the Irish are probably sitting at, I think, about 15th overall in the country and maybe inside the top 10 in terms of uh, major conference teams. So I thought that was a lot better than I thought it would be. Um, my second key would be uh, more backfield disruption. They only have 10 sacks through six games. Um, that's a pretty low figure. Um, another thing would be more tackles for loss. Um, this really hasn't been a huge staple of the Bob Diaco defense. Um, through his tenure at Notre Dame. Uh, the Irish were 76th nationally in 2010, 68th nationally in 2011, and 71st nationally last year. Um, you know, they don't really make their living in the backfield. That's not really how the defense is uh, to built to stop the opponent. But right now they're sitting at 104th nationally with only 28 tackles for loss. So I think that would be something that they need to work on in the second half of the season. What are your two keys, Lars? Um I would say the first one is improving the man coverage. Um, we just haven't been very good in man coverage, and particularly improving the man coverage against slot receivers. I think that's absolutely critical. And uh, I'll, I'll give my next point and then explain why I think man coverage and this next point are critical. Um, and then the other thing is defending the middle of the field against the pass game. Um, you know, particularly the short passing game, we just haven't done a great job with it. Um, even the sort of intermediate passing game across the middle has been really problematic and, and the reason I think that's so critical is because I think it's the key to getting the pass rush going if, uh, because right now prior to Arizona State at the very least um, teams were pretty comfortable throwing over the middle against Notre Dame and if you go back and watch Devin Gardner against Michigan uh, or Devin Gardner from Michigan against us he threw some balls where people I mean he had D lineman wrapped around his legs and he was throwing the ball across the middle you just shouldn't be able to get away with that um, but because we because of our weaknesses in man coverage and because of our weaknesses down the middle 
quarterbacks have been able to do that. They've had that safety blanket where they can always check down to the middle. They can always throw the ball quickly, and that's meant that our D-line hasn't been able to get to uh, to the quarterback. So if we can tighten that up, if we can play better man coverage, if we can do a better job, especially taking away those quick passes in the middle of the field, I think we're going to see an improvement in uh, in our pass rush. And once we do that, then, uh, then the whole thing is going to snowball in a positive direction. So those are my two keys. All right, we spent about a half an hour on the Irish. Um, I hope everyone enjoyed their bye week. We'll be amping up towards the game against Southern Cal this weekend. Um, all right, for the next 15 to 20 minutes here in the second part of the podcast, we'll take a look at some national topics. Um, I wanted to ask you guys what you've seen so far this season. Um, will a team not named Alabama win the national title? What do you think, Paul? I think a team named I, the answer is yes. I actually think it's going to be Oregon. Okay. Uh, you're, I really think this year, if you want to put a theme on college football 2013, this really is the year of the offense. Whereas you're seeing teams with stout defenses like Virginia Tech and Florida struggle, you're seeing teams with somewhat decent defense in Baylor and Oregon just explode because the, when you can average 50 to 60 points a game, it really doesn't matter what your what your defense is giving up, and it, the way that Oregon has looked against their opponents, uh, the way that they've looked uh, to to date, in my opinion, they they've looked a lot more uh, fluid, uh, a lot more diverse than Alabama. I think Alabama's really been relying on sort of a stout running game to build to the pass. You're talking about an Oregon offense that is just flying from one end to the, of the field to the other. They just basically lost their this their tight end who was a, sort of a freak of nature and they really didn't miss a beat. They've had um, D'Anthony Thomas who's been injured for, a, for quite a bit and they haven't missed a beat. You're talking about a team that in their they haven't scored less than 45 points so far this season and it's it's just impressive to watch a team like that because it's really like watching a video game offense. So based on my belief that really this is the year of the offense, I, I do see Oregon eventually winning the national championship, if they're obviously if they're able to get there, but there's been nothing to date that's sort of uh, swayed um, my belief that that's not going to happen. Yeah, I think yeah, you'd look at some of these teams, um, you know, Baylor would be one of those teams that I think some people were like, hey, maybe this is a a program that could win the national title this year. I, I think maybe their their game against Kansas State this past weekend uh, is going to cause people to pull back on their reins there. They had eight fewer first downs in Kansas State, um, only one more yard. Um, you know, they only held the ball for 20 minutes, but they can rack up the offense, but they only ended up winning by 10 points against Kansas State. Um, just looking at some of the stats there, uh, Baylor's quarterback, Bryce Petty, only committed completed 12 passes, but he had 332 yards and three touchdowns. It's pretty amazing. Um, what do you think, Lars? Are you gonna? Would you pick a team not named Alabama to win the national title this year? Yeah, absolutely I would. I'm, I'm with Paul. I think, um, you know, for Alabama, it, it's tough. It'll be diff tough for them to win another national championship. They play uh, a very difficult schedule. Um, and the other thing is I just I think they're not quite as good as they were last year. Um, you know, in particular, I point to uh, Texas A&M and 
And, you know, in 2012, Texas A&M beat them, but really it was more a case where Texas A&M kind of caught them early off guard and then, then hung on, whereas this year, although Alabama won the game, um, you know, Texas A&M moved the ball fairly effectively, put up a lot of yards and a lot of points on Alabama. I just I don't think they're as strong as, as they have been in the past, and I think uh, I definitely think someone will knock them off. I'm not even sure if they'll make it to the national championship game although they likely will, but if they do, um, I think there's a couple teams out there that, that match up pretty well against them, and obviously Oregon would be one of them. Uh, you know, if a Florida State or a Clemson gets there too, those are teams that potentially would match up pretty well with them. So I just like, I would challenge us a little bit. So do you think Alabama is going to make it to the national title game and lose, or do you think they're going to lose in the SEC title game? You look at, their, look at the rest of their schedule here. Um, they have Arkansas, Tennessee, home game against LSU, um, at Mississippi State, Chattanooga, and Auburn. You know, outside of the LSU game, that's not really a, a tough schedule for Alabama standards. So, um, what do you think, Paul? Do you think this is a, a case of them losing the national title game, or do you think they're gonna fall before they get to that point? Well, if they are gonna fall, it's gonna be a major upset because. To their schedule, and I sort of commend their football office uh, and, and their athletic department for building their schedule the way they do because it's really built for a team that's going to go to the national championship or at least has that notion in mind. It, it's worth mentioning they play Arkansas, who's obviously struggling this year, Tennessee after that. But then they have a bye week before they play LSU at home. Now, that's something that will come in a lot of handy because, as Notre Dame fans are well aware, giving Nick Saban time uh, to plan a defense, coordinate an offense, really helps his team. After that, they have at Mississippi State, which could potentially be a trap game, but then you're playing you know, University of Tennessee, Chattanooga, and then ending the season at Auburn. So you're giving your guys essentially a week off before your, hardest, your next hardest game, which is your last game of the season. You look at the, the SEC East, it's it's all over the place. I mean, Missouri right now is in first place. Uh, I don't think anyone saw that coming. However, they did just... I'm sorry, they just lost James Franklin, which it could probably affect them. But behind them, you have South Carolina. I think South... I'll, I'll bring up South Carolina in, in later in the podcast, but they really are built to go to the national championship. So if they don't, it's going to be an upset of some of some variety. I do think they get there, though, uh, sort of bringing your question full circle. I do think they get to the national championship. I do think that it, it'll be Oregon uh, facing off from them, and I think it's going to be interesting to see sort of the old-school college football-style offense that, that Alabama runs versus the 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 new sort of blitz offense that, that Oregon runs. I just think Oregon has been much more impressive in their victories than Alabama has at this point. I mean, Alabama, whereas their defense has really come up stout the past three, four weeks, I'm just concerned that looking at the teams that they've held, like Lars said, the team their slate right now, Virginia Tech, Texas A&M, Colorado State, Ole Miss, Georgia State, and Kentucky. So of those, which one sort of stands out to you in terms of a prolific offense? Well, obviously it's going to be Texas A&M, which they gave up 42 points to. The other ones, they gave up a combined 26 points. Well, again, when you're looking at those teams, Kentucky, 
Georgia State, Ole Miss, Virginia Tech, those really aren't offensive juggernauts that you're looking at. So I, I really just don't think, maybe with the exception of Texas A&M, that Alabama has really seen an offense like Oregon's. And, and the, the closest version of that that they've seen, they surrendered 42 points to. And they almost lost, if you want to make an argument or a push for it. So I really think, as as uh, sort of to answer your question, I do think they get there. I, I just think if they do uh, if they do lose, it will be some upset of, of some variety because their team really is built schedule-wise and personnel-wise to make the run to the end. Yeah, it seems like everyone wants to see that Alabama-Oregon game. Uh, you know, there was a lot of talk of that last year, and hey, we got in instead. So um, I want to ask you another question here, Lars. Do you think um, there's a team right now with one loss on their schedule that will make the national title game? Specifically, you're looking at uh, teams like LSU or Texas A&M. Those guys are in the same division. Um, South Carolina sitting there at 11. They're in the SEC East. They would have to win their division and then possibly beat Alabama. Um, Stanford would be another team. Um, and then I think maybe outside of that, you're starting to have some reaches with Oklahoma, Virginia Tech, Oklahoma State. Do you, do you see any of those teams making the national title game, or do you think um, the national title contenders are going to be the teams right now that are undefeated? Yeah, I, you know, college football is funny like that. Um, <laughs> You just never know. Um, you know, remember last year we were all worried that Notre Dame wasn't going to make it even if they went undefeated and then boom, everything exploded. So it's pretty rare that you get a whole bunch of undefeated teams. Uh, you know, it, it's not all that common even that you get two undefeated teams. So yeah, I think it's a, a definite possibility. Um, and you'd have to look at a, you know, if we're talking one loss here, we're probably talking a, an SEC team just because of the strength of schedule that they play or that they're perceived to play. So, yeah, I think it's a definite possibility, although, you know, you could see, um, you know, here's the reality is is um, Oregon, Ohio State could both be um, undefeated at the end of the year. Alabama could very easily be undefeated. Um, you could even see a Clemson or a Florida State being undefeated. Um, probably a little difficult, little more difficult roads there, but uh, so it's possible that we're going to get um, you know some other undefeated teams. And I'll go out on a limb and say this: I would not be shocked at all to see uh, LSU beat Alabama. Yeah, I think that's probably the one game. You know, LSU beats Alabama, and that kind of sends that whole division into chaos. I don't know how the tiebreakers would work there. I would assume LSU would probably be the highest ranked team out of that division in the BCS standings and I think that's what gets them into the SEC title game. So I think if Alabama beats LSU, I think you know the national picture becomes a little bit clearer. Let's move on here. My second question for our national topics. Pretty simple. Um, who's your Heisman favorite and why so far this year? What do you what do you say, Lars? Um you know, I looked at this one and and uh, you know I think I think it's probably uh, not sure I'm pronouncing his name right, although he's all over the news show, so I should pronounce it right. Uh, Mariota from uh, Oregon, the quarterback. He's uh, a phenomenal, phenomenal athlete. Obviously, you got to consider Johnny Football. Um, he has had a very good year, statistically speaking. Um, you know, he's and he's uh, he's an enigma, and people either love him or hate him, and he's a very polarizing 
figure, but um, that Oregon offense, unless something changes, they are, I haven't seen an offense like that in college football in a long time, and uh, certainly it's driven by their quarterback, so that would be my vote. Okay, stole my pick. What do you what do you say, Paul? That was my pick also. Uh, Marcus Mariota from Oregon. The dude hasn't thrown an interception yet this season. He's thrown for almost 2,000 yards, 17 touchdowns. He's also ran for eight. I, I think that sort of bears mentioning that the guy is responsible for, at this point in the season, 25 touchdowns by himself. It, you really have to look at sort of the the history and the statistical trend of Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks as of late, and he's really fitting the mold that Johnny Manziel fit last year, whereas a guy who sort of puts the game on his shoulders, is very diverse with the way that he plays, throws a lot of touchdowns, limits his turnovers, and can make things happen with his feet. And right now, for me, maybe outside of him, maybe Manziel, maybe Jameis Winston, but just in terms of the overall just based on how impressive he is, he's almost 61% completion percentage. You're talking about a guy who's averaging over 10 yards a pass, an almost flawless quarterback rating. For me, right now, it's him running away. Maybe behind him, Manziel and Winston, but right now my pick is Mariota. Yeah, that's who I went with as well, uh, Mariota. Um, I, I jotted down a couple other guys, and I think, you know, the second half of the season is going to be really awesome, I think, for the Heisman race. Uh, as you mentioned, Manziel, Winston, I think uh, Bryce Petty from Baylor, who I already talked about, is in there. Um, Bridgewater as well, although I think his strength of schedule is really going to harm him um, through the next half of the season. Uh, I think Brett Hundley's another guy I think is a little bit underrated so far. He had another good game this past weekend. UCLA is undefeated. Um, I know they still have. I believe they have to play Stanford and Oregon, maybe in back-to-back weeks coming up. Um, that'll be big for him. And I think Zach Mettenberger would probably be another guy, I think, to keep an eye on, especially if they end up beating Alabama in a few weeks here. Um, I think he's someone who's going to skyrocket up the uh, Heisman lists. Um, you know, his his stats are, are pretty strong, almost 67%. Um, completion, um, almost 1,900 yards, 15 touchdowns, only two interceptions. Um, he's averaging 11 yards per attempt, which I think is probably one of the top two or three uh, guys in the in the nation for a quarterback. So um, he's another guy, I think. But I think we all agree on Marietta, so uh, we'll leave it at that. Third question here. Um, Stanford ended up losing this past weekend to Utah. I don't know if either of you watched the end of that game. Um, Stanford looked pretty good in the first half, and they kind of seemed to fall asleep there. Uh, do you still think the Cardinal will be the best team that the Irish face this year when the season's over, or would you pick another team? What do you think, Lars? Um, yeah, I'd say they're the best team. Um, you know, I think the other... You know, Michigan and Oklahoma being probably the other two that you consider. Maybe Michigan State as a as a dark horse, um, but uh, I, I think and I give the edge to Stanford just because of their defense. I think they have a better defense in Oklahoma, and I think they have a better defense in Michigan. Um, I would still say this, and I believe this all along. Stanford is a beatable team for us. Um, we'd obviously have to play our best game of the year, and I know that's a little bit of a cliche, but uh, I think if we play really well, I think um, Notre Dame. Them, although that'd be a tough task. Yeah, I think so. They're, they're probably going to be the best team. Um, but I think after this past weekend, I think 
you know, Stanford's not all the way out in front like we thought they were maybe two or three weeks ago, I think. You know, there's probably three or four teams, and I wouldn't, you know, as bad as Michigan State's offense is, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't hesitate to say that they're in that, that pack that I think is a little bit more squeezed together here um, in terms of teams that we've played that are difficult. What do you think, Paul? I'm with Lars. Uh, I, I, I do think Stanford is going to be the best team we've played. When you look at their schedule uh, and you look at where the Utah game is placed in their schedule, it really looked, at, especially at the beginning of the season, maybe even going into it if you want to be more current, it really had all the makings of a trap game. They, they just came off a very tough win uh, against a, a moderately highly ranked opponent at the time in Washington. Uh, they had to travel to play away, and then the following week they're playing UCLA, where as of late, it's pretty much been their rival uh, in, in the Bruins. It just it looked like a trap game. It had the makings of a trap game, and if you watched it, it looked like a trap game, whereas Stanford, like you said, started hot and then just sort of faded down the stretch because I think they just got complacent. They just looked uh, lazy especially near the end of the game. I, I think that their goal line offense was even borderline more worse uh, than what they did against us last year and sort of worthy of, of, of defeat. But I do think Stanford is going to be the best team we play. I'm, I, I am inclined to agree with you somewhat that not to write off uh, the, the strength uh, of, of Michigan State, uh, of Michigan State's defense. Um, but... When you look at just the way that the Cardinal have played so far this year, I'm inclined to actually write off most of the Utah game. I do think that they are going to sort of pin their ears back and, and play angry through the rest of the year because I really think that at least their mentality going into every game from here on out is that they're going to have to win at all costs in order to have a shot. Uh, to play for the national title, to e even in some cases they want to make sure that they win they win the Pac-12 to to get their their tickets to to the Rose Bowl. So I, I am still concerned about Stanford. I think their defense will be better uh, and, and maybe one of the best we've played all year. I and I am concerned about uh, sort of their offensive output uh, against us. So my pick would still be Stanford. You know, their schedule really isn't doing them any favors this year. It's really difficult. Um, this upcoming weekend, they have a game at home against UCLA. Um, the Bruins are undefeated and ranked number nine. Um, in two weeks, they have to go on the road to Oregon State. You know, the Beavers haven't played very well this year, um, although I do believe they ended up crushing Washington State this weekend, so that was a big win for them. Uh, this Three weekends from now, they played Oregon, and then they go... Well, that's a Thursday game. Uh, yeah, yeah, Thursday, November seventh, and then the and then the week after that, they're traveling to USC, and then against Cal in the big game before they end up playing Notre Dame. Do you, do you think this is a team that's going to be nine and two or better by the time the Irish play them out in Palo Alto? <laughs> when you look at the schedule, and when you say it that way, no. But um, I mean, this is a team that found a way to beat Oregon last year. So uh, to our benefit. So I'm I'm inclined to right now say yes, uh, but obviously many things can happen. A lot of things can happen. So I, I just it's hard to say at this point. But given the fact that their two hardest games from here on out 
through the rest of the year, New UCLA and Oregon are both at home. I think that does help them somewhat. So I'm inclined to say, yeah, I do think they'll be 9-2. and two. But, uh, again, if they were to drop this game to UCLA uh, this upcoming weekend, all bets are off. Uh, they, you could be looking at a, a potentially four-loss team by the time they play us. That's crazy. They're playing Oregon at 9 o'clock Eastern on a Thursday. Wonder why they put that game on a on a Thursday night. That's pretty weird. What do you say, Lars? Um, you think this is going to be a still an elite team, a top fifteen team by the time Notre Dame plays them at the end of the season? I was never totally sold on Stanford as an elite team coming into the year. I, I mean, I think they're very, very good, um, but there's a, a fine line between being pretty good and being elite. And obviously, you know, UCLA and Oregon are gonna are gonna tell the, the tale there. Um, yeah, I wouldn't surprise. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they had three losses coming in. If I had to bet on it, I'd say they're probably a two-loss team coming into um, coming into the game against Notre Dame. And I wouldn't be. I think they might just catch UCLA this week. All right, let's go to our fourth question here, and this one's a bit of a, a fun question. If you could take any one non-quarterback player off of any roster in the country, who would that player be, and why? That's Go back to you, Lars, with your pick. Well, as a former linebacker, I was—I'm uh, thinking linebacker right away, and I'm thinking that for a number of reasons. I think uh, we all are now fully aware of the impact that Manti Teo had last year, and how if you have that guy in the middle who can eat up a lot of space, it, it sure makes a big difference. Um, and certainly, with the unfortunate injury to Jarrett Grace, that becomes even more critical. So I would go with. Uh, I got two potential picks for you. One, I'd go with this one. Probably people would be going, "What?" But uh, I'd go. I'd strongly consider Max Bull from the linebacker from Michigan State. He's a phenomenal player, and he really is the guy, the captain of that defense, and the guy who organizes the whole defense and does a great job with it. Or I'd look to a guy like a, a C.J. Mosley. I just, I really like. Um, you know, he's a guy who moves well in space, but I also like his leadership and. He's a guy who will uh, kind of grab the bull by the horns and, and take things in hand. So those would be two guys. All about the linebackers here up, up north, Eric. All right, my pick was uh, I think the offense needs a little bit more help this year, and I would go T.J. Yeldon, the running back from Alabama. Um, I just think he's he's a tremendous athlete. Um, he's averaging six and a half yards per carry this year. Um, he's only a true sophomore, so I think you know his potential even – over a small, small segment of six games, I think he could just be phenomenal. Um, he can catch the ball out of the backfield a little bit. He's not a huge threat in the passing game, but I think he could be in Notre Dame's offense. Um, you know, if I was just looking at, you know, I, I can't really disagree with what you're saying, Lars, about the middle linebacker, but I immediately was looking to the offense where I think they're not playing quite as well as the defense lately, and I think they need a difference maker at running back and someone that can take the pressure off of uh, Tom Reese. So I'd go with TJ Yeldon um, from the Crimson Tide. Who would you say, Paul? Who's who's your player you would pick any non-quarterback off of any roster across the country? Well, there's two. Um, as a former uh, alumnus of Good Counsel High School, I'm inclined to pick a fellow Good Counsel alum and Stefan Diggs from Maryland. He really is their whole team. Uh, he's all-purpose. Uh, he'll line up at kick returner, punt returner, wide receiver in the slot, out wide. He really has the the look on Maryland's team anyway that 
Golden Tate did for us during the Charlie Weiss years. He really was this all-purpose back that was just an incredible athlete to watch. It, 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 there, the I credit the Maryland coaching staff for just trying to find ways to incorporate him into the offense. Um, the second, if we're looking at defense, because I was kind of torn between the two, uh, being a D.C. resident, I watch a lot of ACC football. I'm going to go with... Uh, kind of along the same lines of Lars here, but I'm going to pick a linebacker from a different school, and I'm picking Jack Tyler from Virginia Tech. Uh, he's a fifth-year senior. He's their the Hokies' leading tackler. He's one of their captains. He sort of exhibits the leadership that Virginia Tech had, for Virginia Tech, that we really had with Teo, and he really provides sort of that that kind of stout defensive look for the Hokies, and it's really the one, he's really one of the reasons why they're doing so well this year. Uh, he's just been an impressive force, 6'1", 230. He's just a big guy that can line up pretty much anywhere in the linebacking core, and he really is a leader. So any type of um, uh, any type of leadership amongst the defense would be sorely needed right now, which is why I would pick Tyler for defense. But if I had to, if I was torn between the two. I like scoring touchdowns, so I'd have to go with Stefan Diggs. Okay, that's a good segue uh, into our last question here. I wanted to know, who are your most underrated and overrated teams in the country? And um, I'll just throw my most underrated team out there because you just brought them up, Paul. Um, I'm going to say Virginia Tech right now. Um, you know, I don't think they're a national title contender, um, and I don't necessarily think they're going to even win the ACC, but... Um, you know, they're 6-1. They're sitting there at 19th in the AP poll. Um, I think they're doing a lot of good things this year, especially defensively. Um, you could probably make the case that they might have, you know, one of the top two or three defenses in the country right now. Um, they did lose Alabama to start the season, but that game was a lot, not necessarily closer than the final score, but they, they really held Alabama's offense in check in that game, which was pretty impressive. Um, and since then, they've rolled off six straight wins. Um, and I think they're probably going to beat Duke and Boston College here in the, in the next couple weeks, and that's going to bring them to a, a huge game against Miami, and that's probably going to be for the division in the ACC. I don't even know what division they're in, if it's the Coastal or at the Atlantic. I want to say the Atlantic. So uh, I would throw uh, the Hokies out there as the most underrated right now. Uh, I don't think a whole lot of people are talking about them, and I think they're playing pretty well the past month or so. Um, Let's go back to you, Lars. Who would you say is your most underrated team right now in the country? Um, I, I went with Northern Illinois. Um, you know, they've uh, they're they're a potential BCS buster. If you look at their schedule, there's a good chance they'll be undefeated. Um, you know, come late November, and and certainly they've got some uh, players on the offensive side of the ball who are elite level players. And uh, you know, I think it's a they've got themselves a pretty good football team. And and the funny thing about uh, you know, college football in particular is if they can somehow get themselves into a BCS game, it's uh, it's only a one-game deal, and so quite often in a one-game deal, you can uh, you can step up and and have a great game, and the best team doesn't always win. It's not like hockey or something like that where it's a seven-game series where you know the better team tends to impose its will over time. In football, it's sort of a, a one-shot deal, and it's a bit of a crapshoot. So. Uh, Watch out for Northern Illinois to make some noise and maybe mess up the whole BCS selection process. Yeah, you don't really hear a whole lot about them right now. I don't know if it's because they're still 
quite a bit of undefeated hand, handful of undefeated teams right now in the country. And you know, Northern Illinois played really well last year. They're sitting at six and zero right now. I think the one thing with them is they don't they haven't played a ranked team yet, and they're not going to play a ranked team the rest of the way. So um, I think that might be tough for them to sneak into any of the big games. Uh, what do you say, Paul? Who who's the most underrated team right now in the United States of America? I had actually, sorry, I had actually are also picked Virginia Tech. Okay. Um, I, I again, it was either going to be them or Fresno State, uh, given Fresno State's uh, season opening win over Rutgers. But I I was inclined to pick the Hokies, simply from the fact that they've actually. It, for lack of a better term, played sort of tough programs as opposed to Fresno State uh, as of late. And again, you're, it's a product of your conference, but I'm picking the Hokies. They started uh, strong against Alabama, but sort of faded down the down the stretch, and they really had problems on offense going into that game anyway. They've really kind of gotten their, their legs under them, uh, I, I do think that that they that when you look at their just defense, that if we're gonna go with the notion that defense wins championships, they're really built for a run. Um, just to correct you, you had it flipped. Virginia Tech's actually in the coastal, but you are right in that when they face Miami, it's basically gonna be the winner of that game plays the winner of Clemson and Florida State because the way that the conference records are built right now is that it's basically going to be between two of those four teams as as they go into the stretch and I do think just if you if you watched any any bit of their win against Pittsburgh again while they had struggles on offense their defense held Pittsburgh I guess into negative yards in the second half of the game and which is just one it's very hard to do and two is it's just equally as impressive so my pick for underrated would have to be Virginia Tech. Okay, uh, let's stay with you, Paul. Who is your most overrated team in the country? It's again, it's one of those weird things because it's tough. Uh, are we def when we define overrated? Uh, because a lot of these teams that are, are ranked in the positions that they are haven't played anyone. And if we're going to go with that logic, which is the, the one that I'm applying anyway, I have to go with Louisville. Uh, Louisville, to start the season, uh, has, I think the toughest game they've played has been Rutgers. Uh, and they, they beat them 24-10 to this past Thursday. Uh, Ohio, Eastern Kentucky, Kentucky, Florida International, Temple, Rutgers. And you look at their schedule going out, they're not going to play any ranked teams. Uh, they, they're not really looking at any tough games uh, from here on out. It, it's very easy to see them going undefeated, running the table, and then laying, just being absolutely exposed in a bowl game, just on the, the way that, that their, their, their team, uh, on the, their schedule. Their defense is ranked uh, pretty highly. Uh, they're first overall in points against, uh, at seven points a game. However, they haven't played anyone. And you look at the teams they've played... It, teams that are, are just not to the caliber that you'd see out of programs like Notre Dame in terms of their scheduling, Alabama, Oregon. It, it, it's, it, it does stink for Louisville because I, I think next year will be a lot better for them 
when they join the ACC when they have a more well-rounded schedule. But right now, you have to say they're overrated because they're ranked so high, but they haven't played anyone. And I think it's really a product of the voters just putting them in the top ten because they're the best team of that conference. And it, it's really not saying much when you really haven't seen a full body of work against, uh, say, another conference opponent. Okay, I went, I went with uh, Michigan. Um you know, they just lost this past weekend against Penn State. I just think, you know, they've been living off a mobile quarterback and an electric athlete uh, as their signal caller for about two or three years now. And I think in so many instances that quarterback is saving their behinds. And, it, you know, it didn't happen this past weekend against Penn State. But when you just look at their whole team, especially on offense, they're just they're so average across the board. You know, their offensive line really isn't that great, even with – Terry Lewen, or however say his name, on the edge. Um, the receiving core is decent, but leaves a lot to be desired in terms of size and, and uh, prototypical NFL speed and stuff like that. Um, both of their starting running backs are under three and a half yards per carry, which is just awful. I mean, that's that's almost approaching Notre Dame 2007 offense, and uh, this is a team that was undefeated heading into this past weekend. Um, you know, their defense is solid, um, but, you know, if I was to look at a team that has played, at least record-wise, has a, a decent record this year, um, I think Michigan would probably be overrated. And I think, you know, with the new AP poll this year, I think people kind of agree with me there. They tumble out of the AP rankings this, this week. So uh, what do you say, Lars? Uh, we'll wrap this podcast up. Who's your most overrated team uh, with whatever definition you wanted to use? Uh, the first team that jumped to my mind was Ohio State. Um, you know, and I realize Urban Meyer is a good coach, and I realize Braxton Miller is a, is a pretty special player, but uh, I'm just not sold on this team at all, uh, and I'm not convinced that they're an elite team, even though every time they play, we hear how they have the longest undefeated streak in the nation, and, you know, Urban Meyer and Braxton Miller and all that sort of stuff. I'm just not sold on this team. I don't think they've been battle-tested, and Likely they're gonna. There's a very good chance they'll end the year undefeated, and um, I think the only real tough game that they have left is Michigan. And like you said, I'm not sure that is that tough of a game. Um, then we'll see when they actually have to play somebody in a bowl. But uh, but I think they're overrated. Yeah, their schedule is just brutal here in the second half of the season. They have Iowa and Penn State at home coming up, and then they travel at Purdue, at Illinois. And then another home game against Indiana. And then obviously, like you said, to finish the season at Michigan. I mean, I don't even know what you can learn out of all those games. Um, I don't even know if they what we're going to learn from them out of the uh, Big Ten championship game. So uh, I definitely would agree with you, Jerry Lars, about Ohio State being overrated. All right, I think that's going to wrap things up. Uh, you guys have anything else to say before we get out of here? Happy Thanksgiving, Happy Thanksgiving to all those Canadian, Canadian listeners, listeners out there. That's right. That's right. Anything from Anything you, Paul? From you, Paul? Uh, no, it's going to be a good slate of games. I'm I'm excited for uh, uh, the Irish's matchup against uh, the Trojans. Obviously, this is going to be a, a, a big week for all Notre Dame fans. Uh, this it's worth mentioning we haven't beaten the Trojans at home in quite a long time so if there's any year that's ripe for it I think this would be the one so it's going to be an exciting week it's going to be an exciting game and uh, hope everyone enjoyed listening 
All right, everybody say your prayers this week. Hopefully we'll beat the Trojans. Uh, on behalf of Paul and Lars, this is Eric, and we are out of here. Take care. <laughs>